Amen. Let's open up our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. And as uh, you're opening your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18, today we are going to look at one of the greatest events in the Bible. This is one of those events that is just so amazing, so eye-opening. You know what? This event proves that the God that we serve is truly real, that he is not fake and he is not a figment of our imagination, but he is the true and the one and only God. And that's the title of today's message, One God. And today we're going to see without a doubt that the God that we serve, he is in fact real. He is a God that hears. He is a God that answers. He is a God that truly sees. And that's what we're going to see. We're going to experience a God that is so active in our lives. And so as we look at this section of the Bible, we're going to look at verses, eight, verses 20 through 40 in chapter 18. We're going to just dedicate this sermon to looking at this amazing event, and it is the victory that happened at Mount Carmel. And so with that, let's go ahead and read verses 20 through 40, and then we'll go, we'll go ahead and expound on these verses. It begins here in verse 20 of 1 Kings chapter 18, says, So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore let them give us two bulls, and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood. But put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning e morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar with which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out on them. And midday was past, and when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two, two saves of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time, and they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. 
And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their backs to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and executed them there. You know, as we look at this, such an amazing event, such a, a powerful event that happens as it reveals just the power of God, proving to all that he is the only and the one true God. But before we go into the details of what happened here, let me just give you just some details. I want to give you some information as to what led to this showdown. See, God had brought a drought to Israel, a drought really to open the eyes of the people. He wanted them to see that Baal, the, the God Baal, was not truly a God. Remember, this God was a God of fertility that was worshipped by people. So he was a God of fertility, a God of rain. And yet God brought a drought, right, to show the people that really that this was not a God at all. See, he wanted them to understand that who they were worshiping was truly a false God. Because if he was a real God, he would have challenged and he would have ended the drought that the Lord brought. But because Baal could not do that, it was God's intention that they would realize this. That they would realize that the God that we serve is a true God, the one God, and that there is no other God like him. But God wanted to make sure that they understood this. He wanted to make sure that they knew without a doubt that God was a true God. And so what he does is he leads Elijah to speak to King Ahab so that they can see for themselves, so that they can see that he, in fact, is the true God. And so this is where we're at. This is why we have what we have here. And if we look at verse 19 of 1 Kings chapter 18, it tells us this. It says, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. See, what we have here is we have here the prophets, right? We have here that Elijah had asked Ahab, I want you to bring the prophets of Baal. I want you to bring the prophets of Asherah. And you may be asking, who's Asherah? Asherah was a Canaanite goddess. She was actually considered the wife of Baal. And so he was saying, you know what? I want you to bring all the prophets that worship Baal, all the prophets that worship Asherah, and I want them to come to Mount Carmel. And so King Ahab must have thought this was a good idea, right? As he heard Elijah proposing this contest he thought to himself you know what i think this is an opportunity for me to discredit both elijah and almighty god because remember ahab he was the one that built an altar and a temple to baal yet he was a, the, the king of israel yet he didn't worship the god of israel and so whatever was in the mind of, of ahab king ahab king ahab says okay let's bring the people together and this is what we have here in verse 20 where it says, so Ahab sent all the children of 
So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. So you have here that Ahab goes ahead and does exactly this. He, he follows the challenge that was presented by, by Elijah. And so he sends for the children of Israel. He sends for them, right? It doesn't tell us how many came. It doesn't tell us if there were hundreds or if there were thousands or if there were a million. But we know that he sends for all the children of Israel. And I guarantee you this much. There wasn't hundreds. There wasn't tens. I guarantee you there were thousands that came. Thousands that came. And as thousands come, he also sends for the prophets of Baal. Remember, there were 450 of the prophets of Baal. And so now everyone is there at Mount Carmel. Imagine that. Imagine the thousands of people. You have the king there, King Ahab. You have the thousands of people. And then you have the prophets that are there. And so you could imagine how amazing this time would have been, right? To see the royalty there, to see the king and his servants and all the people. And then you see the prophets of Baal. And you see Elijah that's there. I mean, just picture this on a mountaintop there at Mount Carmel. And then verse 21 tells us, and Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Imagine this. Imagine the boldness of, of Elijah, right? To have the thousands of people that are there. The thousands that are there, right? And he throws out this statement, right? And he tells them, you know what? How long will you falter between two opinions? In other words, how long are you going to play both sides? What he means by this is, see, the people were not only worshiping Baal, but they were worshiping God. To think that they would worship Baal and to worship God. How silly would this be, right? And, but yet, I believe this is so real today in the world that we live in. When you look at people worshiping God and calling themselves Christians, but yet they also what? Worship the pleasures of this world. This is what they look to. And yet they call themselves Christians, but yet they're doing the things that the world does. See, they're playing both, both sides. They're, you know what, as, as uh, Elijah said, how long will you falter between two opinions? See, the Lord has an answer for all of us in this, right? Because in his word, he himself told us in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. No one can have two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Look at our world today. Think about our world today. When people call themselves Christians, but yet they love the pleasures of this world. And did not God say himself, the Lord say himself, that if you love the world, you make yourself a what of God? An enemy of God. That's right. If you love the pleasures of this world, you make yourself an enemy of God. This is when he calls us adulterers and adulteresses, those that love the pleasures of this world. And this is what he says there. God himself says, you can't have two masters for you're going to hate the one and love the other or you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You're going to be loyal to, one, to the one and you're going to despise the other. See, when it comes to the Lord, understand this, we cannot be neutral with Christ. You know, we can't be for him and, 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 and saying that we're with him, but yet we're doing things that are contrary to him. You know, we can't be on the fence jumping on one side and then on the other side. Remember what Jesus himself also said in Matthew 12, 30. He who is not with me is against me. So when you make yourself, when you say that 
that, you know what, as, as you follow the things, or they were following their Baal, right? They were following this God. How can they say that they're with Christ too when they're following Baal? And so this is why Elijah would say there, he would say, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. Today you will realize who is God, who is a true God. Whoever the true God is, that's who I want you to follow. We're going to see if Baal is a true God. If he is, you'll follow him. If we see that the Lord is a true God, then you follow him. And so then in verse 22, it says, Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Elijah's saying right now, what he's saying and what he's experiencing is he's the only prophet here. And what he's facing is he is facing 450 prophets of Baal. Imagine that. Remember, he had asked King Ahab to also bring the 400 prophets of Asherah. But they never came down to the showdown. The only, the only one that came to this contest was, of course, the prophets of Baal that we see here. So there was 450. So you can imagine Elijah, right? Elijah saying, I alone am left. I am the only one here to face the 450 prophets of Baal. Do you think Elijah was discouraged here? Absolutely not. I don't believe Elijah at one moment was discouraged here. The reason I say he wasn't discouraged is because God had been preparing Elijah for this showdown. Remember, what God had been doing to and through Elijah. Remember when God, when he had God, when he had Elijah first face Ahab. Remember he told Ahab as, as it says there in verse 1 of chapter 17 in 1 King, it says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel is before whom I stand, there shall, be no, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. This is when Elijah came on the scene. And so Elijah immediately goes to King Ahab and he tells him there's a drought. Why is there a drought? Because you guys are worshiping Baal. And so Elijah immediately leaves and this is when God begins to show his power to Elijah. Remember, Elijah's on the run now. He's a fugitive, right? If, if the king catches him, then he's going to execute him. So Elijah's on the run. And so what happens here is that God begins to provide food for Elijah by ravens. Is this crazy? He brings him meat. He brings him bread. He provides water for him. Again, God working supernaturally here. And then after the ravens, God provides food for Elijah from a widow, a poor widow. And it says that her, her jar of wheat, of barley, never ran out for three years. Imagine that. For three years, there's a drought going on. Elijah never lacks anything to drink, and he never lacks food. God supernaturally provided food for Elijah through this poor widow. And then thirdly, remember, as the widow's son passed away, Elijah prays, and through the prayers of Elijah, God works powerfully. Through the faith of Elijah, God worked powerfully, and he revived his dead son. So as we look at this, right, Elijah has seen the power of God moving greatly. So he comes to Ahab with great confidence, even though he's by himself against 450 prophets. You know what? He challenges them all. I want you to think of this. How many times do we get discouraged when we're the only ones in our family serving the Lord? 
How many of you have experienced that, right? When you were the only one. When you first came to know the Lord, right? You, began, you were the first one to bring it into your family. Some of us felt discouraged. What about in our jobs when you knew that there was no other Christians around? You were the only one there. You felt discouraged. But remember this. There are others around you. Maybe they're silent. Maybe they're like Joseph of Arimathea that we looked at, or Nicodemus, right, that kept their commitment to the Lord silent. But remember this, there are people praying for us. You know what, when we first came into La Puente, right, it was, I mean, it's always been a challenge here, right? But, and we were always thinking, man, this is just so hard, it's hard. But yet there were people praying for us. There were people praying for this ministry. Always remembering that we're not alone, And most importantly, why we're not alone? Because God is with us, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? See, greater is he that is in us, right, than he that is in the world, remembering and being reminded that God is with us. And Elijah, Elijah was filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God was overflowing this man. I mean, how amazing it was for Elijah to be there before the king, to be there before the prophets of Baal, And just speaking with such boldness and confidence, right? To speak to all the people, hey, you guys have been what? You guys have been playing both sides. It's time to make a choice. Either you're going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve Baal. Just the same call that, remember, Joshua did, right? When he came into the promised land. When they conquered the land, he said, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Who are you going to serve? Again, just a reminder for us, there's a choice that we make. And as we look at this, right, as we think about this, the faith of Elijah should encourage us. And so the contest was to reveal the true God. Let's read verse 20, verse 23 says, Therefore let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it and I will prepare the other bull. And lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Here's the contest. He says, you know what? What I want to do is let's prove who's the true God. Let's prove who's the real God. Imagine this amazing challenge that he puts out. He says, let's bring two bulls. And I want you, the prophets of Baal, you guys choose a bull. You're the first one to choose. I'll choose a bull that you don't want. And what we're going to do with the bull is we're going to cut the bull in pieces. Imagine that. Let's cut it in pieces. And then we're going to lay the bull on the wood. But don't light up the wood. He says, and I want you to do is I want you to call on the name of your God. And I, Elijah, will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers with fire, that one is a true God. The one that answers with fire, that one is a true God. And as we see Elijah speaking this with confidence, just knowing the God that he serves, with confidence knowing that the God that he serves is a powerful God, a mighty God that can do great things. Don't ever forget that. As we see here, Elijah understood one thing. I serve a great and a mighty God, and a great and a mighty God does what? He does great things. I have complete confidence in the God that I serve. I don't have to... Worry about that. I don't have to second guess the God that I serve. Right now, Elijah is filled with the Spirit of God. He is walking in confidence with boldness, and the Spirit of God is overflowing him. And in verse 25, it says this. 
Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bowl for yourselves and prepare it first. For you are many and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bowl which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is meditating or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. You know, as we look at this, right, Elijah says, you know what? He tells the prophets, you guys go first. I want you to choose a bowl. I want you to prepare it, but don't put fire under it. And go ahead and call on the name of your God. Remember, you guys are many. Because many of you are speaking, your God should be able to hear you, right? So what happens is they start early in the morning, and Elijah, imagine this. He knows their God isn't real. And he's probably just sitting back there and looking at them, right? From morning to noon, they're calling, again, they're calling their God Baal. But yet they hear no response. There's no voice. There's no answer. And then it tells us that they began to dance around the altar. They began to dance around their altar, right? As they had put the bull on there, as they had put it over the wood. And they did this for hours, but no one hears and finally, noon arrives. And as they did this for an hour, and noon has come, Elijah begins to sort of mock them, right? And he says, hey, guys, you guys should shout louder. You guys should shout louder, scream louder. Remember, Baal's your God. Do you think he's daydreaming? Do you think he's relieving himself? You think he's away maybe on a trip, he says? Or maybe he's asleep and needs to be awakened. And so after they hear Elijah saying this, right, they follow his request and they begin to shout louder. And they, it says that they prophesied, right? And, and they began to cut themselves, which was a custom that they did as they worshiped their God. They would cut themselves. But yet they hear no voice, no answer. And so Elijah says, it's my turn. And let's look at what Elijah does. Verse 30 says this. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two says of seed. You know, I love Elijah. What does it say that he does there? He said to all the people, okay, you, you guys heard all that? Come near to me. Why does he tell them to come near to him? See, he wants the people to see what he's about to do. He wants the people to see. He wants them to have no doubt, right? So you could imagine, I don't know how he would have done it or how it was done, but there in Mount Carmel, right, he has all the people come near to him, right? And, he's, and he begins to, to repair the altar that was broken. He wants everybody to see it. 
And as far as this altar, what altar was it? I mean, it must have been an altar to God, right? Because it says it was an altar of God. He began to repair it. And as we see this, right, I believe this is symbolic. Symbolic of what God wants to do, right? Because the worship, if the worship of God would be repaired, then God would move powerfully in their lives. But as we see here, you know, we see that, 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 their, that, that God would show them this, right? That if they were to worship God, he would move powerfully. So what does Elijah do? He takes 12 stones, it states here. And he takes 12 stones because this was representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And what he does is he built an altar with the 12 stones. And not only does he build the altar with the 12 stones, he decides to build a trench around the altar. And this trench can actually hold three gallons of seed. That's how much it could hold. So it was a trench, right? And then look at what he does in verse 33. He says, and he put the wood on, in order, cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, fill the four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar and he also filled the trench with water. Okay, so now that he built the altar, right, with the 12 stones and he be, decides to put the wood on top. He puts it in order. He cuts the bowl into pieces. And he lays the bowl in the wood, right? And he fills the four water pots with water. People are saying, well, it's a drought. Where's the water coming from? Well, you have the Mediterranean Sea. You have it. It wasn't very far. Whether he did this before or how the water got there, we don't know. But the water got there. From, more than likely from the sea. But what he does is he fills it up. He fills up four water pots with water. And what he does with these four water pots is he begins to throw all the water on the wood and on the bowls, the, piece, the pieces of bowl that are on the wood. And he just doesn't do it once. Imagine this. Look at the confidence that Elijah has in God. He takes this again. He says, I want you to fill those four water pots again. And I want you to throw the water on the bowl, on the wood, and I want you to do it a third time. And he does, and they do it a third time. And so then he says, fill the trench that I made with water. Can you believe this? As we look at this, right? Why would he want so much water on the bowl, on the wood, in the trench? He wanted to make sure that people knew that this wasn't going to be something that is just ordinary this is going to be an extraordinary a supernatural an amazing miracle of god something that is so drenched with water that god is going to light it up imagine that god is going to light it up he had confidence he had faith whether god had told him to do it this way we're not told but i believe we will find out in just a second that he was instructed by the Lord to do these things. Look at what it says in verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. So he was instructed by God to do this. 
You see that there? He was instructed by God to do exactly what he did because God wanted to show his power. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you. And then, verse 38 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. So you could imagine, right, the prayer of Elijah. Elijah prays. And remember, all the people crowded around him. So he wanted to make sure that everyone heard his prayer. And what does he say with his prayer? He says, you know what? Lord, meaning you're my master. And you can imagine, right, as he's praying this, right, what do you think the 450 prophets were doing during this time? I'm sure they were mocking him. They were ridiculing him. I'm sure they were saying, you know what, this Elijah's crazy. God's not listening to him. God's not going to bring fire with all this water there. I mean, all these things, just like when we're called to do certain things, how many times does the enemy begin to put things in your mind? You know what, as you're doing things that God has called you to do or to minister, to share with somebody, all of a sudden you have these things that they're not listening. That it's, you know what, no one's paying attention. That God, you know what, God hasn't called you to do this. What are you doing? It? You're on your own. You know, these are the voices that we hear, the enemy that prevents us and wants us to stop doing the work of God. And for those of us that have called, been called to do things for the Lord, we know that we're targets of the enemy. And he wants to discourage us and to bring doubt into the work that God has called us to do. But Elijah, he doesn't pay attention to this. And he says, my, my master, my Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel, right? Let everyone know today that you are the Lord or the God of Israel. And that I am your servant, that I serve you, and that I am doing what you asked of me. Elijah says, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that the people would know you are the Lord God. And that you are turning the people's hearts back to you. And immediately as he said this, immediately as he said this, fire from heaven falls on the bull. Can you imagine? Just picture this, right? Visually picture this. Picture this in your mind, right? As Elijah is there praying, as the prophets are around mocking him, as the people are all looking on and just trying to listen to his every word, as King Ahab and all his servants are there looking at all these things going on, the thousands and thousands of people that are there, and all of a sudden, bam, fire comes from heaven. How amazing this would have been. And the fire falls where? On the sacrifice. Fire from heaven falls on the sacrifice. It falls on the wood. It falls on the stones. It falls on the dust. And it licked up, it says, the, fire, the water that was in the trenches. It licked it up. It consumed it. It was gone. There was no more water. Everything was in flames. See, this is the God that we serve. See, this is the God that, that, that wants to reveal to us that I can do great and mighty things. And my desire is to do these things in and through your lives. Don't doubt who I am. Don't be discouraged with the things that the enemy brings. Understand that I am a God that does great things, that I am a mighty God. That I can do all these things. That I can do what I did at the time of Elijah. That I can do it through you. I can work through you. See, this is the God that we serve. And as a result of all of this, look at what it says in verse 39. 
Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Two things happen immediately after the fire comes down from heaven. The people fall on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. Not once, but twice. And then immediately as the people say that, what does Elijah do? He says, you know what? The people of Israel seize the false prophets. Don't let them escape. So they captured each one and each one was executed. Remember what God said. See, why did Elijah command them to execute these prophets? Because what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 12 through 15. They were to strike, they were to strike down corrupt men who caused people to serve other gods. They were to kill them off. And based on this, and based on their obedience, based on their worship of God, God would bless them. Remember, this is what we talked about last week. God brought rain based on the return. God blessed the people with rain. The three and a half year drought ended. It ended. And so as this amazing event happens, what can we learn from these things? What can we learn from an event like this? I'm going to give you five quick points because we're running out of time. Five quick points, and we're going to go through them quickly. The first point is this. God, our God, is the only true God. Remember that. Our God is the only true God. There is no other God. Everyone that people or everything or every person or everything that you ever imagine to be a God, they do not exist. There are no other gods. There's only one true God. Even all these people believe Baal was a true God. He never existed. No other gods exist. They're false. They're fake. This is why the Lord says in Isaiah 44 verse 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. There is no other gods out there. Even though people conjure up these gods, even though people make up these gods, they don't exist. They're worshiping a lie, a deception. This is why he also says in Revelation 1, verses 17 through 18, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. No one else has this. I am he. The second point is this. Real quick, we talked about it slightly. Everyone else is fake. Everyone else is fake. Every other god is fake. All other gods are false. As we go back to Isaiah in Isaiah 49 verse 9, 44 verse 9, it says this, those who make an image, all of them are useless and their precious things shall not profit. They are their own witnesses. They neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. See, God wants to give us the details of all these other gods and he spells it out so plainly in Psalms 115 verses 5 through 7 where he says, they have no mouths. They do not speak. Speaking of all these other gods. Eyes they have, but they do not see. Ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but they do not smell. Hands, but they do not handle. Feet, but they do not walk. 
nor do they mutter, mutter through their throat. In other words, they are fake. They don't exist. They can't help. See, if we worship anyone but God, they won't help. They can't help. See, we look for people look for help from non-existent people and things. Remember, they have no truth. They are all false. It's all deception. And remember this, deception will always lead to destruction. Deception will always lead to destruction. That's what they are, deception. That's why they lead you to destruction. Never forget that. The third point I want to give you is this. God shows his number through, I mean, I'm sorry. God shows his power through small numbers. God shows his power through small numbers. One of the things that I have come to realize is that God always uses small numbers to do great things. I don't know if you've seen that. I don't know if you've realized that. See, it's like God desires to show his greatness because he knows that if he shows his greatness through small numbers, then no one else can take the credit but him. See, God used one man here, Elijah, to defeat 450 prophets of Baal. Remember Gideon, God used 300 men to defeat an army of 135,000 people. God used a youth named David to defeat Goliath and the Philistines. Remember Jesus fed between or Jesus fed approximately over 20,000 people with how many fish and how many loaves? Two fish and five loaves. When we think about how God used 12 people to turn the world upside, right side up, the 12 apostles, small numbers to do great things. This is the norm for God. Why is it the norm for God? Zechariah 4, verse 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Remember, not by might nor by power, not your might, not your power, not your numbers, not your strength. It is by my spirit, says the Lord. And then finally, two more. God is looking for men and women to show his power. Remember this, God is looking. He wants men and women where he can show his power. And it doesn't matter who you are. God is looking for people to show his strength. And I want to prove this to you. Remember when Isaiah was there in the throne room of God, when he saw the throne room, when he, when he was just so in shock, right? And the angel touched his tongue, and, and he realized how undone he was, and then he touched his tongue, and he was cleansed, and he heard the voice of God in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. This is what the Lord is saying today. Whom can I send? I am looking for men and women to use. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how, how, what condition that you're in. If you are cleansed by God and you are available for God and you want to be used by God, God will use you. He wants to send people just like Elijah. Are we these people? Or are we thinking to, to ourselves, but you know what? We're not qualified. Did you know that God qualifies the unqualified? He does this. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. For you see your calling, brethren. 
that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. Imagine every single person that God has used. They were all sinners. They were all rejects. They were all people that were, became nothing, that were nothing. And God made them into something. Remember when he used Moses, right? He moved through Moses to deliver his people. Moses was a nobody. 40 years in the wilderness, everybody forgot about Moses. Yet he parted the sea, he delivered the people. A young man named David in his teens. Imagine that. To defeat a giant. Who would have ever thought a young boy like, like him would defeat a giant? But yet he went out with faith and with the power of God. You know, think about Peter, right? Peter walking on water. Look at Peter, able to walk on water. You look at everyone else, every man and woman that the, that the Lord has used, they were all sinners. But yet God made them, out, made them into something when he came upon them. He cleansed them and he used them. And then finally, in the fifth thing, as we close now, as we saw here, as we saw here that God brought the rain after the people worshiped him, I want you to know this, point number five, and never forget this one, God blesses obedience. God blesses obedience. If you want your life to be blessed, we know that God blesses, you know what? He reigns on the just and the unjust. We know that he brings, you know, uh, light and breath and life to the just and the unjust. I mean, the Bible tells us these things. But know this. If you want blessings in your life, we walk in obedience. And this is what he shows us. When they began to worship me, what did I do? I brought rain. I ended the drought. He ends a drought in our lives. And this is what God does in our lives. If we are, see ourselves steering into disobedience, if we see ourselves beginning to step into a life of compromise, maybe some of these things we don't even realize, like I've shared in times past. Maybe there's jealousy. Maybe there's envy. Maybe there's unforgiveness in our lives. Maybe there's complaining in our lives. Maybe we're not content with things. Some of these things we don't think about. But if we're not obeying the Lord, then how can he bless us? If we're not being faithful in things, how can he bless us? God wants to bless. God wants to show his power through our lives. God wants people to know that, you know what? That man that follows me, that woman that obeys me, look at what I do with their lives. We are trophies of, God, of God's grace. His fingerprints are all over our lives for people to see. This is what God wants to do. This was such an amazing event. And with these points that were brought up, I pray that they would minister to you. I pray that we would take them to heart. That we would walk by these things. See, the word of God, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts to the heart, and we know that it brings life and it transforms. 
And I pray that as we heard the event of Elijah to understand one thing, that God can do these same things through our lives. Do we want them or not? Let us close our eyes. Let us bow our heads. Let us pray in closing. Heavenly Father.